U.S. farmers and ranchers in action would like to recognize the sponsors of the 2020 Honor the Harvest Forum. Welcome to the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action weekly video podcast for Wednesday, October 14th. I'm your host, Phil Lempert. Today, it's all about soil management. And with us to dig into the subject is Dr. Ratan Lau, PhD. Dr. Lau is a distinguished university professor and director of the Carbon Management and Sequestration Center at The Ohio State University, as well as IICA's Chair in Soil Science and Goodwill Ambassador. He was president of the Soil Science Society of America and the International Union of Soil Sciences. He researches soil carbon sequestration for food, for climate, for security, for conservation agriculture, and soil health. With an H index of 157 and about 112,000 citations, Dr. Lau has authored almost 1,000 journal articles and mentored 360 researchers. He is the laureate of the 2018 Gachero World Agriculture Prize, the 2018 Glinka World Soil Prize, 2019 Japan Prize, 2019 U.S. Awashi IFCO Award, the 2020 World Food Prize, and the 2020 Arrow Food Prize. Dr. Lau, welcome to Farm Food Facts, and I'm sure I mispronounced a whole bunch of those prizes, but congratulations on all of them. I guess my first question is, how did you become so interested in soil? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to this very important program and for your very detailed introduction. Uh, that's much appreciated. Uh, I have been interested in soil science from my childhood. I grew up on a small farm in Northwestern India, uh, where farmers are normally uh, five acre, 10 acre, 15 acre small farm. And uh, soil quality, soil health, soil productivity is the main uh, determinant of their well-being and uh, food security and health and the entire uh, living could come from that small farm. And I had been personally involved in farm operations uh, from the very young age, uh, watching my father, brother, uncle plow the fields, uh, irrigate the fields, uh, transplant crops, and notice how when soil is degraded, uh, its consequences. Drought, for example, serious one. Uh, dust storm, I remember very uh, vividly. Dust storm and wind blown uh, dust. Uh, we lose topsoil quite a lot. Uh, drought uh, and uh, depletion of nutrients, uh, chlorotic symptoms of crops. At that time, I did not realize why, uh, but these were some of the memories uh, of first-hand experience of working. So my interest in soil goes back to that time. And when I had an opportunity to study in a college and you had a choice of majoring either in genetic plant breeding or in, uh, in entomology or plant pathology or soil science, uh, I had more interest in soil than in other subjects. And I, once I started, I really liked it from that time. Well, doctor, I, I must tell you, I'm embarrassed because my, my recollections of being a kid was just playing in soil, playing in the dirt. And, and you're making me sound like I missed this entire other world. Um, no, but of, I of really... also played in dirt, and, uh, but the dirt was uh, a different kind. It was actually the uh, part of a farm where we were. And that, when it is on a farm, 
uh, the dirt becomes the soil on which the crops grow. And that's a big difference. So what made motivated you to pursue soil science as a career path? Well, I uh, had interest in soil academically. And uh, then, of course, as uh, the luck would have it, uh, I graduated from Punjab Agricultural University in 1963. And uh, I was very fortunate. I had a top position uh, in my university. And with that, I went for an interview in New Delhi uh, for a master's degree. And the director of the uh, Rockefeller Foundation in Delhi at that time, uh, Dr. Ralph Cummings Sr., uh, was also interviewing people uh, that he would provide scholarship to study um, uh, soil management for corn production for the Rockefeller program. And I was very fortunate. I got uh, selected for the assistantship from the Rockefeller Foundation to study soil properties on corn production in India. So here was an incentive to be given an assistantship uh, to cover your tuition and expenses and yet study. Uh, so that got me into doing research on soil science. And after I studied uh, with Rockefeller Foundation, Dr. Cummings and my thesis advisor, one of the thesis advisor, his name was Dr. Bell Wright. So here I was in Delhi and had two professors uh, famous in soil science. Dr. Ralph Cummings was himself a graduate from Ohio State. So that gave me a link. Um, also being at Ludhiana and Punjab, Delhi for my BS degree, Ohio State had a contract through USAID. So I had uh, a good entry point into Ohio State. So I showed up here in Columbus, Ohio, exactly 55 years ago to do my PhD degree. So soil science has been good for me. Yes. It's, it sounds great with all those prizes. I can only imagine what your office walls look like and your bookcases look like. Um, talk to me for, for a moment about the kind of research um, that you're doing through the Carbon Management and Sequestration Center. I started this research of this type before coming to Ohio State. As a faculty member, I was working in Africa, uh, Nigeria to be exact. And for most of the sub-Saharan Africa, all the way from Senegal to Somalia, the region that I was familiar with, um, soil degradation was a problem. And the degradation was caused by plowing and deforestation and subsequently soil erosion. And one of the factors was leading to serious erosion problem was depletion of the soil organic matter content. So when you remove a forest and erosion happen, soil loses its organic carbon because it's a light fraction, it's easily moved away and also it decomposes very quickly. And one of the solution was that we discovered there, if we can somehow maintain the soil organic matter content. And that process of maintaining organic matter content is what we technically call soil carbon sequestration. So that activity it was continued when I came here. And uh, the process is to transfer atmospheric carbon dioxide through plant biomass and plant contain carbon from the atmosphere through photosynthesis uh, and sequester it in the soil so that it's not decomposed immediately. And the way the soil keeps it is three processes. Either that organic carbon 
reacts physically and chemically with clay and silt, fine fractions, and becomes stabilized, or it can be transferred deeper into the subsoil so that it's away from the erosion and plowing part. Uh, and third, it can become a compound of uh, organic substances which are recalcitrant, they have more longer. And this three mechanism store carbon in soil so it's not re-emitted in the atmosphere. So this is one of the mechanisms of sequestration and it's the organic. The other mechanism of soil carbon is inorganic. We have the carbon dioxide which is evolved from the gaseous uh, reaction um, through microorganisms, through roots, they respire CO2, and this carbon dioxide dissolved in water, either rain or irrigation, becomes carbonic acid, and carbonic acid reacting with cations, calcium, magnesium, potassium, precipitate as calcium carbonate. That is also carbon sequestration. So these two mechanisms of soil, and the third, of course, the trees, biomass of the tree. So this is to gather the tree and the soil. One mechanism in tree, two in soil, is called terrestrial carbon sequestration. And this is what the Carbon Management and Sequestration Center does. We try to assess, uh, monitor, evaluate, model the rates of carbon sequestration in soils of different ecoregions globally, uh, and evaluate the impact of that carbon in soil on production, both the quality and the quantity of the food produced. We also evaluate the impact of that carbon on soil water retention, both the quantity and the renewability on biodiversity. These are called ecosystem services. So in addition to evaluating rate of carbon sequestration, we also assess ecosystem services. And the third thing that we do is to try to find out whether we can mitigate and adapt both adaptation and mitigation of climate change by carbon sequestration. So those are the activity we do it primarily on a global scale. And the reason and uh, the mechanism of us doing globally, we are very fortunate to have visiting scientists, graduate student, postdoc from around the world. As of now, we had more than 380 visiting scholars come from around the world uh, with us and work. So their work make us a global institution. So there's no question in my mind that there's no one on this planet who knows more about soil science than, than you do. Um, is, there any, is there any particular emerging area in research that has you the most excited? Uh, impact on productivity. Uh, for example, we calculated that if we can increase carbon in soil, by one ton per hectare in the root zone, we can increase uh, grain yield of corn, for example, for the same input of fertilizers under uh, by 300 kilogram per hectare, or wow. 300 pounds per acre. So uh, it saves inputs. Similarly, you do not have to have irrigation as much as otherwise. So that's one part is very exciting. The second part, of course, the quality of the food produced uh, is improved. Uh, but more important these days because of the climate change, soil has become a solution toward adaptation and mitigation of climate change. So these three things, uh, food and nutritional security and climate adaptation mitigation. 
And to that one, I must add, uh, we have a very serious problem of algal bloom uh, in Ohio River, Lake Erie, and those area. If water passes through a soil which has adequate amount of organic carbon, then the nutrients which eventually wash into and cause algal bloom, nitrogen, phosphorus, and other, will be retained back in soil. So soil organic carbon really creates many essential ecosystem services for humanity and for the planet. And that is a very exciting and very rewarding and very encouraging thing to research on. It uh, gives me optimism, uh, hope that some of these global issues we are faced these days, uh, the solution lies underfoot through the power of judicious management of soil, uh, creating nature-based solutions. And that's very exciting. Yes, it, it sounds fabulous when you combine all three of those things. Um, and, and it also underscores how important having healthy soils are uh, to, achieving, to achieving global food security, wouldn't you think? Absolutely, absolutely critical. It's, uh, uh, we cannot achieve global food security without uh, having healthy soil. And the healthy soils can only be obtained if the organic matter content in the soils uh, is about three to four percent. I keep on interchanging organic carbon and organic matter. Organic carbon is about 50 percent, half of the organic matter. One other thing which is very critical, very essential, very exciting is that the health of soil, plants, animal, people, ecosystems, and the planetary processes, they are all interconnected. So if you look at the globally as a whole, uh, people are mirror image of the soil. On the other way, health of the people is the mirror image of the health of the soil. If the soils are degraded, people living on that soil have also poor health. And one other part, which is sometimes we forget, and that is last year, 2019, had almost 70 million refugees. And many of those refugees are what we call soil refugees. Soil is so degraded, it doesn't support them. So they do not mind jumping into the Mediterranean and trying to get to the Europe somewhere. And in that process, as you know, the political map of Europe has changed. Yes. We have the same situation sometimes when we notice what is happening on our southern border. People who cannot stay on their land because the land doesn't support them, they are forced to migrate. And that is what happened. The other part is when people are desperate because their basic necessities are not met by the land that supports them and they're desperate, that is what causes fanaticism and extremism. In fact, the global peace and security is threatened when people are desperate because their necessities are not met. I say it very uh, clearly to uh, policymakers and others if they would uh, uh, pay attention to this simple statement that more than the nuclear weapon, more than the weapons of mass destruction, world peace and stability is threatened by hunger and desperateness. Absolutely. And if we look throughout history, um, it's having that lack of food uh, that has created so much turmoil and, and so many you know, wars uh, that, that we've seen for 
hundreds of years. Um, you know, every farmer and rancher that I speak with um, always talks about soil, how important it is. Um, what would you like to tell farmers and ranchers that they might not know about soil health? I must say that farmers really are very intelligent uh, everywhere. Uh, they know probably more the practical aspect of the soil than a researcher like me would know. So I really salute them about their knowledge. In terms of what I could tell them differently is that there are certain part of soil that we can quantify as a researcher. And I would like them to understand so they can uh, feel the meaning of that they can relate to what I'm talking about. For example, when we talk about soil carbon sequestration, I would say the rate of carbon sequestration by adopting improved practices, one ton per hectare per year, or a thousand pounds per acre per year of carbon. Uh, from a farmer's point of view, it'd be much easier to say the soil tilth is friable. Soil is very fluffy. Soil has a darker color. It is more moist. It's more easy to crumble. So there's a difference in terminology. So somehow it is the scientists who have to learn how to communicate with farmers and with the policymaker in a language that we are on the same page. And that is a part which I think requires how can we communicate with farmers so that our scientific knowledge and their practical experience can lead to synergism. And from that point of view, the policymaker, the same thing, the research table are good for publication, but policymaker have to understand what are its uh, implication that they can enable farmers to do what the scientific community think is more appropriate for farmers in terms of uh, improving soil health. So you've talked about the policymakers, you've talked about the farmers, you've talked about the, the scientists, all that have to be synergistic. What about society? What should society do to support farmers in the adoption of sustainable agriculture practices? We hear a lot of people writing about it, a lot of people talking about it, uh, but I'm not sure we're seeing a lot of action on it. <laughs> Thank you. That's a very important part. I want to answer that from uh, two perspectives. One is that uh, society should be willing to pay farmer the price for good produce that we consume. As consumer, uh, if we demand a good quality product, then the farmers are required to adopt certain practices to produce it, uh, should uh, be rewarded for that. And that is what I call payment for ecosystem services. For example, a ton of carbon if a farmer sequester, uh, for all the opportunity cost of the crop residue, which goes back on the land, additional nutrients, opportunity cost, and other thing. I have calculated that according to 2014 Chicago price, about $130 per ton of carbon. And if a farmer is questioning half a ton of carbon, that's $65 per hectare. That would come to, on an acre basis, maybe $25 per acre. Or, uh, uh, if it is one third of a ton, you're talking about $16 per acre or $40 per hectare. So somewhere between $16 and $25, $16 per acre and $25, uh, depending on half a ton or one third of a ton, society should be willing to pay. So that's one part. So policymakers should create an act. Fortunately, by the way, there is an act uh, being discussed uh, right now as we speak. Uh, 
growing soil climate health act or something to that effect. So that's one part which is very important. And the other part is in the US, we have Clean Air Act. We have Clean Water Act. We expect clean water and clean air without having healthy soil, impossible. So if we want to have clean water and clean air, we must have healthy soil. So we must have a uh, Soil Quality Act or Soil Health Act uh, where we can protect soil. So it's those 20 or three acts, air, water, and soil, soil being the third, uh, that act has not yet happened. And I think as a president of the Soil Science Society of America about 12, 13 years ago, as president of the International Union of Soil Science, I feel it is the duty of the scientific community to talk to our policymakers and convince them, explain them the need for Soil Health Act. So that's the second part. The third part is perhaps monetary uh, reward and perhaps the Legal Implication Act may not be as uh, effective always. Does not matter what religion you belong to, whether Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, whatever. I have tried to summarize what these scriptures say about natural resources, about soil. All religion, commonality amongst them is protection and care and stewardship of soil, water, vegetation, natural resources, all of that. And I would suggest, I hope, that all religious organizations, does not matter what religion, uh, they should think about commonality amongst the religion rather than the differences. It is the differences which leads to the problem. The commonality is this, stewardship of natural resources. So if our all preachers could do that, I'm very pleased to tell you a story, but uh, I gave a talk somewhere and the statement I had made was, I think it was something like this, I'm going to repeat it. The fire that burns in the pit of an empty stomach is so ferocious, so hot, that it can only be quenched by the divine power in a loaf of bread made from grains grown on a healthy soil. Few days ago, a friend of mine sent me a clipping of a video his pastor in church repeated that sentence. I was so delighted. I think this is the kind of thing we have to do in religious organization, where we also communicate the importance of divine power in soil to transform death into life. That would make a lot of difference. So we have three options, monetary, legal, and spiritual. And we can do all three of them. And, and very well said. And, you know, every year um, we see that report that comes out that shows a dollar bill and, you know, what part of the dollar bill actually goes to the farmer. And it's always the smallest part and the marketing is always the biggest part. Um, and, and to your point, you know, having, having the right spirituality and paying farmers and ranchers um, the, the proper pricing, if you would, um, I think that we've gone down the wrong path um, in the U.S. That, you know, our system has been built to have the cheapest food, the most efficient food um, on the planet. And we haven't thought about all the implications of all that. Uh, so, Doctor, thank you so much for your insights. Thank you for your spirituality and, and keep up the great work. And thank you for joining us today on Farm Food Facts.
Thank you for having me. U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action would like to recognize the sponsors of the 2020 Honor the Harvest Forum. Our movement sponsors, United Soybean Board and National Pork Board. Our presenting sponsors, Wells Fargo and Cargo. Our gold sponsors, Bayer, Dairy West, Nebraska Soybean Board, McDonald's, Nutrien, and the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research. Our bronze sponsors, Purina and Ernst & Young. Our youth sponsor, Ruan, and our donor sponsor, Tyson. For more information on all things food and agriculture, please visit us at usfarmersandranchers.org. Also be sure to look out for us on Facebook at US Farmers and Ranchers and on Twitter at USFRA. Until next time.